Well, welcome everybody to another Let's Get Digital. Give yourselves a round of applause for showing up. So for those who are new, Let's Get Digital is a monthly meetup for modern marketers. So every single month, we bring together a panel of experts on a different topic to talk about what's really working in that space. And today, we're pivoting to video. So literally, we are bringing together a group of uh, people that I respect a lot, that I think you all will get to learn a lot from, to talk about how to level up your video and maybe have a conversation with the audience about the things you're doing. So I'm also curious, just off the bat, for our speakers, who here has video in their title today? So let's see, about... Uh, okay, actually, that's pretty good. So maybe like six, seven people. So how many people here work with video to some extent in their organizations? Okay, so about more than half, almost everyone. Who, who's here uh, just because it was every single month and you're a loyalist and you show up every time? Thank you very much. Yeah, okay. Uh, no, it, who's here just interested in video today, but maybe aren't doing it today? Okay, awesome, cool. So this is actually for you too, because I'm gonna make sure we cover all grounds today. And without further ado, I don't wanna uh, do an intro for them, even though I have uh, seen all of their work and recommend you do too. I, I really wanna get them to introduce themselves. So let's give a round of applause and bring up our panel. So here's what we're gonna do. So feel free to get comfortable. These are not the most comfortable seats. Uh, and I just wanna have you all introduce yourselves in any order, uh, talk about your role today, so what do you do, and give us one relevant career highlight, something awesome that you've done that will give people the scope of what you've done. Uh, sure, I'll go. Uh, hey, everybody, I'm Ian. Uh, I am a video strategist at Brightcove. So Brightcove is a giant video platform for marketers and broadcasters. We work with companies like Condé Nast and publishers. We also work with large enterprises like Ford for all of their external facing video and all of their corporate comms and stuff like that. Um, so my job as a video strategist is basically overseeing the global video brand. So we have uh, companies and suborganizations across the world that uh, sell the Brightcove product and do their own content marketing. And so my job is to make sure that all of it looks good and also I'm responsible for every single piece of video content that we put out there. Um, something, what do we need, piece of work? Career highlight, yeah. Uh, so a few years back I did, um, Bose did a really big Super Bowl campaign called Fantrax. Uh, that was really fun to work on. Uh, I was a graphics and VTR producer on that. And um, that was like one of the biggest productions that I've been on. We had a crew of like over 100 people and 30 people that were talent and we shot for like a full week and we did all this really cool social media and did this giant Super Bowl spot. And where so, do you live? Uh, I live in Providence, Rhode Island. It's a cool place. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Cool. Well, hello, I'm Clarity. I'm happy to be here. I work in the Office of Strategic Communications at the University of Iowa. I help coordinate the video team, um, which is a really talented group that works on institutional mes messaging, not to be confused with all the talented video people who work in specific colleges across the university. There's a little bit of siloing there, um, probably a career highlight, and also the most visible piece we make every year is the TV spot for halftime for the football 
games um, that also runs through most of the the basketball games that are also aired. So um, it's kind of like, how do we say everything we need to about the university in 30 seconds for everyone, not for a particular audience, like fans and opponents, fans. <laughs> so, um, but that would be my career highlight. All right, I'm Sid, Sid Sang. Uh, I'm the creative director and um, founder of Vert Motion. It's a creative studio. We uh, focus on high-level content production and um, just strategic marketing for that production. Um, we work on a lot of like commercials um, and a few other creative projects like music videos and short films. Uh, after that, you know, we just love problem solving. I think that's just like what, what we are. We're problem solvers. Uh, a career highlight. Um, I think the last year has been kind of a highlight for me just uh, from a growing perspective um, and for our company, but I think specifically like the last couple of projects, um, like our Great America client, we did a really great job on their video series recently. So that was uh, like a highlight, I guess. Awesome. Okay. Here we got, oh, Mike's back. All right, cool. We'll have to edit this in post. Uh, that's a tailing comment. No, thank you very much. We. I, I really am curious just to get one other layer of uh, your background. So I, I wanted to ask one very important question first to kick this off, which is uh, what is your guilty pleasure YouTube channel that you watch? Okay, uh, I'm super excited about this. So um, do you know do you know Hoonigan? The brand, I feel like oh, you yeah, must, like the, right? Car, the cars, yeah. And the, yeah so yeah. their their YouTube channel stumbled across that uh, maybe a couple months ago, and it's like crazy. It's insane. So I watch that a lot. Okay, shout out, right on. Um, Kinda TV. I watched all of the Carmilla series in like probably a couple of days. So, does anyone else here know what that is? Oh man. <laughs> what it, what is it? What is that? Um, so it's a one camera setup lesbian vampire series about like solving this mystery um, at, at this college, this hypothetical college in Syria. So there's a lot of clever storytelling on a very small budget and it was um, completely sponsored by Kotex. So also great brand placement, a lot of cross media uh, marketing right there. And um, Check it out if you haven't. Are you a screen? I, I haven't. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that one. Sweet. I guess my I go through a lot of phases. Um, Ninety percent of my time is spent like on like YouTube or Vimeo, um, looking at like really cool stuff. But the most random thing it's Formula One racing. Their YouTube channel. I really love just how precise they are. Like the uh, the problem solving the race, the, the drama. There's a Netflix documentary that just came out. It's so good, right? It's amazing. It's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Incredible. And I had no idea there's that much drama in Formula One, so I'm now a new fan, and that's why I've been binge watching, so. Okay, cool, wow. Uh, exactly the responses I expected, so it's great. <laughs> so I wanna get right into the, the good stuff, which is right off the bat, you all have different styles, every videographer does. You all work in different mediums, but I want the audience to know from your perspective in your world, what is working in video marketing right now? So describe an execution, whether that's a format, a style, something that you're paying attention to and doing that's paying off. What's working right now in your world? 
Um, so right now we're seeing a lot of serialized content, which is really cool. Uh, I think in the past, that? yeah. So like in the past year, I think everyone has saw sort of what YouTube and what Netflix and Hulu and all these streaming platforms have been able to do where they've really flooded the zone and they've created these great pieces of content that are super bingeable. And so you end up spending a ton of time on that platform and it's totally by design. And so what marketers are doing is they're saying, I want people to spend that much, that amount of time. I want their attention on our website. And so we have to have content that is bingeable, that like is packaged like a TV show. And so it's really interesting because a lot of the content actually fits in sort of like very typical corporate video formats where maybe it's a case study or, you know, it's, it's a similar video that we've seen in the past, but the packaging and the marketing and the way that they distribute it feels much more like YouTube or Netflix or something like that. And it's serialized and allows you to go from one piece of content to another. And before you know it, you've spent like five hours of your life watching ads. And like, they got you. And I think that's pretty cool. Well, I can follow up on that. And like, as a video professional working and representing the University of Iowa, I've got a team of like four and a half people that help with the video, the central video, um, part-time, one part-time person. Not, we got the top half, it was great. I do the same thing. And uh, so like, it's super daunting to know that serialized content is like, yeah, that's the game right now. Like, how do we compete on this um, mass scale that a lot of big, huge brands are able to compete in. So for us, like how we interpret that for our smaller team, for an institution of higher education is, um, you know, that storytelling spark that catches someone's attention is still relevant. The landscape is changing so fast and the algorithms will shift at, you know, on with like one week's notice. So, you know, Facebook made a big change from prioritizing video to like pay for your views kind of video. Um, presentation. So um, when that happened, we had to shift, but it did not change that really quality, emotionally loaded content was still going to be successful. So um, like, I couldn't do this panel without bringing up the wave, but the wave was like, for the University of Iowa, that perfect storm of great for our brand, people know about the hospital, people love a story of impact with these, the, the kids at the children's hospital, this like kind-hearted thing that fell right inside that like idea of what the, the positive things people think about Iowans, the Iowan nice, that wave gesture, and Hawkeye football, like what more could we do to get, and so that like bumped all our numbers in a crazy way for an entire year, and it's, we're still kind of riding that wave. Um, <laughs> but um, so when that perfect storm of like, things people were interested in worked for our brand, like people are still really invested in that. So even though we couldn't like make a whole documentary series that was bingeable about it, like that got a lot of attention. We were able to, um, in a careful and not exploitative way, like pepper in some of our messaging with that. So I really like what you said about the, the storytelling aspects. Um, that's something that I look for a lot. Um, wow that distance okay so I think what I look for a lot um, in addition to that 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 storytelling spark is just high-level engagement engaging content um, but I think packaging that in a short form is, is insanely important because 
you know, you're given a lot of different formats between Facebook, YouTube, and, and Instagram, the three top pl platforms right now. Um, and they give you constraints in a way, but I think there's a lot of people that are doing really great stuff uh, with those constraints creatively. So I think that's another thing I look for. Well, I want to piggyback off that because a lot of people here work in social. Last month, we talked about social media marketing, we talked about video, but you're really all better equipped to talk about how you develop social video that gets people to stop thumbs, tell me if that's an overused word, uh, and uh, really pay attention, engage, convert, do the things that you want. And you're all coming from it from different backgrounds, you now more B2B now, you with a college audience, you with um, a different one as well. Tell us about what your, what your best advice for people that are developing video content and social, what are the things that you recommend doing to make it really perform well? I mean, I think the biggest thing is you can't treat social as sort of a second class citizen, where it's not just a place where you're going to throw teaser videos or something. Like, you actually have to treat every single channel uh, the same way that you would treat every other channel, and you have to go all out. So, if you're making content for social, you need to really design that content to be consumed on social, and you need to think about what your audience cares about and the format that it's going to be delivered in. It's not just a place to simulcast your other content. Um, so what's think, an example of that? So like, I think, you know, when you make content that's a little bit more longer format and you think that it's good for the web, you shouldn't necessarily put a teaser for that on social because the storytelling, all the stuff that you put so much time and effort in, isn't going to translate into a 15 second spot or a 30 second spot. So instead of thinking of, oh, I'm just going to make an alternate cut, maybe think of an alternate way of delivering the messaging of, hey, we made this thing and go check it out. So instead of doing a teaser video of that, actually record yourself talking into the camera saying, hey, guys, we made this really cool thing. We want you to watch it. It's here. Go check it out. Um, because you're building something that is designed to be consumed on social, and it's inherently going to have a different format because you're talking to a different audience. Um, I was going to say the same thing, which is like we every piece of content, we don't just edit for a different platform, but we optimize for that platform. So something we post on YouTube that might be like up to three minutes for really high value content. Like I'll give a solid example. So um, two guys who are Iowa alum um, worked on the the original script for the A Quiet Place and they were back on campus. So we did an interview with them right at that time that it was breaking some box office records for what it was. So there was a lot of buzz about it. We knew it was timely. We um, had this great alumni story and we did a conversation with them. And so the version on YouTube is longer. On social media, our guy was like, we can't put all this on there. So um, made a, a shorter optimized version for our, our different formats, um, how that'll look for different, we also surprised him too, because he's like, this is still too long. No, it did well. <laughs> People were interested in it, it was timely, so it still did well, um, despite being a little bit on the longer side of things. Um, and then um, optimizing where now vertical is ruling a lot of the Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram platforms. So thinking vertically, where as like, professionals that come from more of like a cinematic or film school background, it was ludicrous to think that vertical would catch on and now no one's turning their phones around for content and you're seeing 30 to 70% more engagement on posts that are totally vertical. So 
I don't want to say the rule is vertical video. The rule is meet your audience where they are. And if it's they're on their phones, then do a mobile first strategy. Meet your audience where they are and be appropriate for where they are. And I'm guessing that for most of your content, it would be people on their phones encountering it as opposed to on their desktop top computers where that horizontal display would be more appropriate. Um, and then for, thing, for, for Twitter, it's just short. So 15 seconds is optimal for, well, I'll say that all our top posts were very, very short for Twitter. So we're um, looking at taking a really super cool visual that works in that vertical format and like throwing a stat on there for the university, something that catches someone's attention, that point of pride or inspiration will cause people to share or engage with it. And that for us is a success instead of trying to do more and losing people. I agree with both of you guys. It's a great points, 100%. Um, I think, you know, that that's definitely speaking to a lot of um, keeping people engaged, for sure. Um, and I, I guess I, I come from a kind of a, a design background, so what I think uh, content or like just taking up this vertical space, I think about people are scrolling really, really fast. So how do you stop them? I think the first like three seconds, maybe two seconds, is crucial uh, to how you design. Like think about like you know, engagement in a sense of like, what do you see first when you scroll? And if something stops you, analyze why that stopped you. Because I guarantee there's there's thought put into it and intention behind it. And that's what we like to focus on as well. And then after that, it's just carrying them through the rest of the content. And how's that gonna, you know, engage them throughout, so. Yeah, I think building off of that, like the idea of like not being lazy is really important. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think Sheryl Sandberg shared this stat many years ago, and it's probably a little bit different now, but it's like 80% of people are watching less than seven seconds of a video, and they're watching it with the sound off. And so like, can your content actually be consumed in that amount of time, in those constraints? Um, or if it can't be, like, are you at least hooking people in within those first few seconds? So like hard-coded captions, really important. There's a lot of technical things. You know, putting people's faces on right away, like super important stuff. Yeah, those are good. And I, I noticed that the university seems to be doing more of this more social news style is what we call it internally, this more journalistic, uh, trending news style video. And I'm, I'm guessing that's just sort of playing to what people are used to. And a big benefit of that is that the main point, the hook happens in the first three seconds. And you sort of say exactly what it's about to get people to decide and opt in to watch the rest of it. And that seems to help a lot. Do you have any more specific recommendations on length? I know that so much of it has to do with the audience and the platform, but just we live in a Facebook and Instagram environment. So in general terms, is there something you would recommend if someone's trying to improve their social video? What is a good general stat? Just like you said, 15 seconds Twitter. Is there anything that's helpful or that you found? I think it like depends on the platform, um, and again, like where you're placing your ad. But I think what we like to strive for is like a minute long at max, and then from there, it's just optimizing for these different things. But you know, Instagram Stories is fully vertical, and then you've got, you've got Facebook. You know, you can kind of make that as long as you want. But I think attention span wise, a minute is like a great target. I I will agree with one minute for that. We use that as a mark of like if we can tell the story in this minute why don't we um and less is good too um but in terms of kind of building that attention for for that content um 
I kind of lost my train of thought, but it was going to be good and then it failed. (laughs) I'll pass it off. Oh, we we use text a lot. So um, like, I don't know if that's part of that news strategy or something, but if we can say what we're doing up front and grab people that way, knowing that an audio cue is not going to work and a visual cue might not provide the context needed, then we'll just put that text on there and say, here's what you're going to get if you, you know, stay tuned. Yeah, I think that's almost more important than like what the total runtime of a video is. Mm-hmm. It's are you able to get people to opt into the video within the first five seconds? Like, I think that's the bigger constraint. And the longer a video is, I think the better your hook has to be and the better your pitch is to them. Um, but I think you can have a really long video on social media and have it be successful, but you really have to sell it in those first five seconds in order to actually get engagement. That's like the critical time is when people are scrolling scrolling by. So Michael, the social media guy who came before um, from our team, he's kind of the the length advocate where he like came to us, it felt like an intervention, like he sat me down, he's like, our videos are 12% longer and we're losing 22% of retention to end, and I'm like, Okay, we can we can work with like we can help you with we we can help change that. Um, but I think it wasn't that our links were drifting longer. I think that we had just put like a bunch of like fifteen second time lapses that people couldn't help but watch to the end. <laughs> so I was like, let's let's throw out some of this really short stuff so that some of our longer stuff can still be in there. And there's clearly a place for that. I, I really like those examples, and I know that a lot of the audience that don't have video in their job title, as an example, are are really just getting started and would really benefit from hearing some real practical advice for, let's not even call it best practices, for just making video uh, as a beginner and or on a budget. So in either of those two camps, what would you recommend someone do to create content through video with the right mindset and process and tools? Uh, what would you, someone that's just starting out in, in in your field? So I think the good news is that the tools have gotten a lot cheaper. And so whether you're talking about software and post-production or you're talking about cameras and acquisition hardware, like um, it's never been easier to make a video, which is awesome. So that is less of the barrier. What's really the barrier is the person making the video. And so if you are starting out and you want to build video into your company, it's really about hiring the right person and investing in that creativity. Because if you spend all of your money on outsourcing to agencies, sorry, Josh, but um, (laughs) you're gonna have a lot better long-term ROI if you just hire someone instead when you're getting started. Because otherwise you're gonna spend twenty-five, $50,000 on your first project with an agency and you're not gonna have the video literacy yourself to actually make good informed decisions. And so you really should be thinking about who you're hiring and making sure that person is really gonna deliver some value even if they're gonna start out and their tools are gonna be kinda crappy and they're gonna be working with a lot of constraints. If you are fostering that creativity and building that social capital with that person, you're gonna have way bigger longer term payouts than if you were just gonna spend money on gear or spend money on agency or something like that. Um, I think that starting out, like the good news is the tools are available to everyone. Um, One little note I'd made to myself is that like one of the things that I think will help make this panel successful is having great audio. So even though people are often on social media listening with the sound off, having great audio will make sure that that quality content is um, 
accessible to people. I think um, captions is another thing, is like a flag I'm waving right now, because um, without those captions, people listening without audio, and it's also an accessibility thing, it's an SEO thing. So if you have, or if you're using your platform to embed captions, then you have all of that as searchable content. So YouTube, for example, um, it's a really great best, pra best practice. Um, and then in terms of the content itself, um, I think that in the budget is a, often a barrier for smaller groups, for smaller businesses. So um, committing to something that you can do consistently um, and maybe kind of like dialing the production value or um, content to that, I guess what I'm trying to say is like having one super highly produced, polished, cinematic thing that's 30 seconds long might not be as valuable as something you can shoot with your phone. You have it close to your body, so it's great audio, and you're um, kind of like giving your audience something that is more consistent, more um, something that you can do for them. Um, so. I think video is a really tough thing, and because the landscape changes so, so much that um, as part of the university, one of the hardest things is like steering a barge is the term often used because it's a big disjointed organization. So trying to be light on your feet and follow trends is really difficult, um, especially when like administrative buy-in becomes something that you have to achieve before making an adjustment. Um, but at the same time, there is this um, ability to experiment, but I think one thing that is important is sticking to an experiment when you're trying it, that it might not be a short-term value that you're going to see immediately, but that if you're trying something new, play it out and see what happens. Yeah, you guys made really great points. Um, I do agree um, with like hiring a, a video professional early on and, and just trying to build that language. Um, when I think about like video, I, like it comes down to like filmmaking and filmmaking to me is a language in itself. It is a storytelling aspect and you can use it in so many different ways. Um, and I think about like as a digital marketing person, you may not like understand that language right off the bat and it is really hard to learn and spend all your time learning that language when you're trying to focus on other things. So at that point, I think when you're starting out, you've got to DIY a lot of things. You've got to like do tutorials online, buy a camera, whatever you gotta do to get the thing done, do it. But at a certain point, you are gonna spend way too much time uh, doing something that you were not meant to do and that somebody else is really good at doing that. So what I think about is like filmmakers, we're, we're storytellers first and foremost, and we know how to uh, use this language to our benefit. And when it comes down to like a campaign, um, that's something like what we focus on a lot is utilizing our constraints like like there's budget constraints every time there's no there's no time a client's like oh we have unlimited resources that would be like the day i die okay <laughs> but when you're working with those constraints like it's problem solving from there it's figuring out what can we do how can we make this the best it can be um and when i think about like your budgeting uh at, at a certain point past the diy phase you're now into budgeting and what I would say is when you, first you've got to uh, like figure out what you're trying to accomplish and then set out a plan. And once you've set out that plan, you're gonna know what you need. And then you can communicate that to whoever you're hiring for video. And those, 
if they're really good at what they do, they know exactly how to use those constraints and those those goals and accomplishments or what you're trying to accomplish to their advantage and bring to you a product that's going to work really well. So, oh, sorry. Um, so it's just like my point is basically DIY up until that phase and then start to look for people that are really good at what they do and bring a lot to the table. And, and at a certain point, you're not just investing into that single project that you're trying to just get done, you're investing into your brand. When stuff looks really polished, when things look high level, that increases customer confidence and it increases your branding. It just makes it look better. There's a difference between like Apple and the next you know, phone company that just came out with something, you know? I think you make a really good point about um, keeping the conversation around what is gonna work for your product because too often we have a department or college come to us and say, we really want this video. And it's the video they want, not the outcome that they want. So we try to always, the first question we ask is, why is video the best medium for this? And why do you want video? And then the next follow-up questions is, who's it for and how are you gonna get it to them? Because oftentimes people have not thought they, they know they need to get in the video game and someone saw a viral video and had a really cool idea that you know they could replicate and then we have to kind of like take a couple steps back and say okay what are we trying to achieve who's it for and how can we do that with this medium and then also take into consideration the places it will be distributed where people will be interacting with it um, so the way my office got the word strategic put in the name is we stopped being a build back um, entity and started instead doing projects that would actually benefit people, we hope. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Boom. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about outside with the idea of like the value of like a demo reel or something like that for a creative. And my point was beyond a demo reel, what's really important is can you articulate the problem that you were trying to solve and your approach to solving it and the impact that it had. And I think the really good news is that with this generation of filmmakers that's up and coming in sort of the YouTube era, they're really good at working within constraints and they also really understand the hustle because they are trying to figure out the algorithm, they're trying to figure out monetization, they're trying to build an audience. And so I think you can have those conversations with people that are just starting out, which I don't think you could have had you know, even three or four years ago, which is it's really cool. I'm not even here. Great work. Uh, how do you make things go viral? No, I'm just kidding. No, that, I'm not gonna ask that. Does anyone Step here one, have a, cats? A, yeah, exactly. always cats. Yeah, I, we could definitely go on about that. Here's a quick question: Does anyone here have a burning question that they're dying to ask? Something that they want to ask this panel about their own project about video? Okay, we're gonna give you a Nicole. Okay, I'm gonna... How do you help ease that transition into thinking that way? Okay, and the, the question, by the way, for the three people listening on the podcast is uh, <laughs> vertical video and how do you ease that tra transition and communicate to your team uh, why it's important and how to do it? I think if you have the bandwidth, you can run an A-B test and you can show them, hey, see this horizontal video? It performed a lot worse than the one that was actually designed for the platform. Um, if you don't have that luxury, they should just do it because you're the boss. I, I just want to acknowledge that. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's my manager hat talking, I guess. I just want to acknowledge that there are three videographers 
praising vertical video. Do you know how much of a sea change this is from a year it's, or two it's totally ago? Crazy. Where if you held a video like this with a phone, they would immediately say, eh, what are you doing? I think the numbers are hard to argue with. And I think as a 4K allows us like a fun soft launch of vertical where our strategy in our office where like we still have to make the TV spot. So we're not going to turn our cameras on the side in a consistent way. We've started to ask when you're going out on a video shoot, try like putting your camera on its side 30% of the time. But the cool thing about really high um, megapixel formats is that you can crop the edges off a wide shot and still have a lot of energy in that. So if you're only thinking with that rule of thirds long format in mind, you're going to be limited in how you can edit that afterwards. But if you shoot it wide in 4K, you have a lot of flexibility with how you can crop that and hopefully have a lot of energy in this new format. And it's fun to try new challenges. Like it's an opportunity as much as it's like this new grumble grumble constraint, you know? Yeah, I agree. I come from like just kind of the, the film kind of background. Like I'm I'm a cinematographer first, so my frames are always either 16 by 9 or widescreen, and I have this internal fight. You know, every single time I post on Instagram, I'm like, damn it. There's like this thin strip of like actual content, and it's just literally just getting skipped over because nobody saw it because I have really dark work. So it's like a thin strip of black, and nobody's seeing it. So like I'm like, all right, so can I just stack them? So I think. That's just like a, a classic example of someone that like at a time where I'm just not, you know, adapting to change. But I think it's really just yeah, it's the logic of your everyone uses their phone vertically and you're fighting for vertical space on a screen. It's just simple logic right there. If you take up more real estate on the screen, there you're more likely to capture attention. And so when it comes to that, it's just about adapting that into your workflow however you want to. Flip the camera sideways, who cares? Do it. Tell, tell your video team, we're going to do it this way and you can suck it up. Because it's going to work, it works, it works great. XKCD came up with an awesome cartoon that was like the one format with no cons, diagonal video. Yes. <laughs> um, I reposted that. Okay, no, yeah. I, can't, I can't do that, no, it's too, too much. I, I always promise we're going to talk about trends, and I, I feel like we kind of did touch on trends today. But one thing that I'm certainly paying attention to, but I have no idea how hard it really is to execute a lot of times, is in adding personalization. Because we have this technology today to allow us to personalize video. You can see something that's literally created for you. You know, a quick example of it is like on Facebook, they're always trying to get you to create these little videos that are about your friends and your timeline and your experiences. And that's really amazing technology that they can create that in real time. But organizations can do that too. I don't know if that's really where things are headed. So what I wanted to ask you is, what is a trend that you are looking to capitalize on in the next year, as well as in the next three to five years, where do you really feel like video marketing, not just video technology, but video marketing is headed? Where are we, what are we gonna be talking about in five years? So I think the KPIs for video marketing have changed a lot. So I think in the beginning, everyone was really focused on play count and reach, and they wanted to get really big numbers. They wanted things to go viral. That was sort of the measure of success. Then people were like, hey, actually, that doesn't actually bring us you know, leads or money or whatever. Um, so it was more conversion focused and engagement focused. 
Um, I think right now what we're seeing is there's a really big fight for people's attention. And I think video is really powerful and that it's the best way to get people's attention, but it's also the space where there's the most competition. And so what people are optimizing for right now is total time watched. So what you're really trying to figure out is not just how can I make this one video engaging, but how can I lead people down a rabbit hole where they're going to engage with a lot of our content and eventually they're going to become customers or converts or evangelists or whatever. And so you're not just thinking about the specific deliverable and how am I going to make this the best deliverable? You're thinking strategically and how am I going to get people from starting to interact with their content and starting to watch it and then really get them into the funnel just using video. If I understood trends, I would have my own YouTube channel and make money off of that instead of working a day job. But um, I, trends are really difficult, especially for, for me. I don't like think that visionary way of like, in the future, it'll be like this. Um, but I think that like sticking to the basics that we talked about before in terms of engaging storytelling. Um, I'm really energized when a, I don't know, good old fashioned does not apply to like a video that you've adapted to social media, but like just a good story. Um, one, we had been trying these graduate, um, graduating student profiles and a lot of them were not doing well and we we're like why are none of these doing well and then we did one about a student who went back to school at age 67 and got her degree and that was energizing to people it was inspiring people were sharing that being like man if she can get her degree at 67 what can i do you know so i think that finding that sweet spot of stories that will inspire people there was also a bit of like a, a, a life turnaround in that are are still really engaging so taking the time not just to crank out the content but also discover that content that will inspire and something that people are proud of that they want to share with other people is important so that's definitely not a trend that's just like the the rule but um i would say that and then um that try to check in, like rebalance when there's a shift in algorithms, but not try to tr chase that laser point pointer too much um, because then you'll have no consistency, so. I definitely agree with uh, the storytelling aspect of um, just like authentic stories. I think authenticity is something that I'm seeing um, a lot of companies shift towards because again, like a lot of advertisement is done now on social media and the problem with converting like your your regular billboards that you see down the street and placing those on social media is that they they don't resonate at all so what you have to then do is integrate you know you you, th you have to think about how your customer uses this platform and integrate your content but make it stand out in an authentic way so i think there's an like i guess the wave is a perfect example of that like it's it's a great looking video it can be slid into the the social media and it's a great story so it's it's got all these different like recipes for success. And like, there's another example I think of, um, there's this little like, uh, it's kind of like a, a for the school in uh, Louisiana, um, but it basically follows this girl's path of finding out what she wants to do. And she goes through trial and error. And she, she first wants to try science and she's like, no, that's not for me. And then she's trying to swim and she's like, I hate this. And then, you know what I mean? Like, so you're following this path and, and it's a, you're relating to your target, which is students, right? Which is that specific one. So I found that to be really engaging and 
I watch it like all the time now because it's so good. It's it's perfect. And I think like authentic stories and, and t- being okay with taking the risk and being like, this is a more of an emotional story. It's okay to tell that. Um, Principal had this insurance, like this is insurance company, Principal. I'm sure you've all have heard of them. They have this ad where um, there's uh, this boy who's like running away from home and, and whatever. And you don't find out until the end that he's going out and getting money uh, because his parents recently passed away. And he's like bringing the money to his sister. And the sister's like, it's okay. The principal covered us. And it's like, it's not cheesy. It's like, it's really emotional and really good. And I'm like, this is fantastic. Like, this is great content. And this t- taps into our like our emotional, you know, um, selves, I guess, if you want to call it that. But it really like authentic stories. I think that's just the trend that I think we're all heading towards because that resonates really well. And I think in the past, especially for B2B and corporate content, you could get a lot of success just by having a regular publishing strategy. And so just by putting content out into the world that was different, that was video, you would see good results, but that's just not the case anymore. And so you need to really reevaluate what your standards are for putting content out there. And if you're building your content strategy based on a schedule, not based on the quality of the content, then you really need to reevaluate what you're doing. So we're doing like a full internal audit right now in our case studies because our goal was always about uh, output and frequency and cadence. And now we're completely changing our priorities based on the quality of the story and the importance of it and how it's gonna resonate with our audience. And that'll mean that we produce less things, but they'll be way better and they'll perform a lot better. So less is more in a lot of ways. In terms of personalization and how we interpret that, um, there's two main ways we do that. And one is through geofencing. the University of Iowa has found that one of our uphill battles that we really want to do is getting our message out around the state and not just in our um, creative corridor that is already kind of like hearing that megaphone. So we found that if we could find an alumni in uh, or an alumnus in a town in western Iowa and make a short piece of content, whether it's story, great photo, or a, a short video, and geofence that area and you know, talk about someone who they're proud of in their community, those open rates, those um, engagement rates went way up. So people are excited to hear about someone in their area, in their town. So that's one thing we do is geofencing. Um, And then the other thing we do is with email campaigns, we know a student who's inquired about the university's interests. So we know if they want to be an electrical engineer or a nursing student. So we can send them content in email form that is specific to them. So in video, if you have the bandwidth for that, you probably prioritize, which is, okay, what of our, what are our, um, like creative writing right now is our fastest growing major. Let's invest a little bit in that. So students who have inquired about it, get content immediately that shows how we're distinct in this area. I love that example. Uh, oh man, I would love to ask your question, but you know, I promise we get out on time at six 30. So I'm going to have you follow up with that later. Uh, but I do want to have you leave with a very quick answer for everyone, which is if someone wants to dive deeper into any of these topics or really read the same things that you're reading, what is your go-to resource to dive deeper, to learn about video, to get inspiration uh, outside of the YouTube channels that they surely all scribble down? Uh, what would you recommend? Just your one thought. So um, 
trade publications like Digiday, um, Adweek, stuff like that, those are really good because they offer a really great glimpse of sort of what the biggest players are doing. I think the challenge there is you have to figure out how to adapt that to what you're doing and scale it down uh, or you know, target it a little bit more. But I think that's a really great way of sort of using that as a forecasting tool to say, hey, these people are really diving deep into this type of content. How can we do that in our own way? Um, where are places that we can start experimenting? I think that's the best way to do it. Um, I still turn to YouTube to learn things. Um, so um, that's one thing I do. And then something that didn't come up on this in this conversation, but I think needs to be mentioned is influencers. Um, uh, an example of that is the University of Iowa has two current students who are twins who have a channel with over 350,000 viewers, and they are making content that is reaching more people that is amazing about the university than we are. So just kind of being comfortable with the fact that your brand ambassadors might be people who are not in your office and how can you work with them? We decided that there was nothing we would change about what they're doing, so we didn't reach out to them. But, you know, where are the opportunities to maybe, you know, you can leverage their channels and they can, you know, you can suggest a video topic or something like that if they have these big followings. I think what dictates what I'm currently like like my resources to learn stuff is after I find something that's ins inspiring and like really high level and something that I want to do. I will then kind of like like reverse engineer it and figure out what do I need to learn about that. Uh, so when it comes down to it, it's it's lighting for me because I'm I'm a cinematographer first, so um, it just makes a big difference for me. So I guess the one resource I would recommend for any of my people that are really interested in shooting video is the Wandering DP podcast. Um, what uh, the guy Patrick O'Sullivan that that runs it, uh, he does a really great job of doing lighting breakdowns, but also interviewing. Uh, directors, even agencies like DPs, like a lot of people in the industry, and there's a lot of insight that goes on behind the scenes that you may not know about. That's an interesting one. And the Let's Get Digital podcast, I don't even heard of that one, but uh, so good. Uh, are you still cool with Wistia? Is that still a yeah? Thing? I think Wistia is a yeah. really great resource. So Wistia is a video host that is really targeted towards marketing groups that are sort of just getting started with video, and so they have a lot of learning resources around that. Uh, I know that's something at Break of that we look at and we're really jealous of and we're trying to do more yeah. education. Wistia is really interesting. Yeah, they I, do a good job. I, I would I would even say and just recommend that one article or one experiment they just did pretty recently is they made, correct me if I got the numbers wrong, but they did a $1,000, $10,000, and $100,000 video and just compared the differences. Among things that they do, that's more publicity. But I, I think and then, Yeah, they spent an entire year making a documentary about doing that. <laughs> yeah, but they do a lot of great cool. beginner tips and tutorials and... Uh, I know that's something that you used to send me, and so I highly recommend that as my go-to resource. That is a wrap, so thank you very, very much for joining us today, and let's give our panelists a round of applause, please. So we meet every single month at the same time, at the same place, so you can be sure that we'll be here outside of May. I promise we have to mix that up. Sorry. But uh, on April 17th, we are going to 
be talking about SEO. So we'll have three SEO pros here. One of them is here today, Rick, and uh, I will let you guys talk to him after. But I highly recommend you instead come next week to learn about how to make your websites rank better and what's working in that space. I learned so much today about video marketing, and I hope you did too. Thank you for coming, and please do come. I always forget to do it. So thank you also to our awesome team, uh, Sculpt and Talon on the audio over here for putting together these events. We do them completely free for you so that you can enjoy it and meet each other. And uh, thank you for to Merge for hosting us. Thanks, just one last thing to Ian for coming out from New England uh, for one day just for this event. And he's literally flying back right after this. So uh, I hope it was worth it. <laughs> uh, but I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you all for coming again and see you next month.